Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Palace Way podcast. Uh, I'm Alex, I'm joined as always by Bruno, how are you doing? Uh, well, after that game, terribly. Um, so, yeah, how about you? Yeah, I kind of feel the same, I mean, first and foremost, I think, I hope you had a good Christmas, and I hope all our listeners had a great Christmas, but there was one thing that was very, very unchristmassy, and it was that fucking dreadful performance, I mean... We really put the boxing in Boxing Day because we got the shit smacked out of us by a very hardworking and, and frankly, informed Fulham side. Um, but we'll get into that in more detail. Um, just before we get into it, as I've said, I obviously hope everyone had a great Christmas. It's our first post-Christmas recording and coincidentally our last of 2022. So I think if on that note, if there's one resolution, I think me and Bruno have, it's to finally get more consistent at recording and uploading these. But um, I digress. We will get there. Um, thank you very much for tuning in, but I th- I'm afraid you're going to have a very kind of ranty episode from us today because Palace were comprehensively beaten, as I'm sure by now you're all aware. Um, but the manner in which that happened was obviously quite unusual, not to mention the two red cards that came about. So we'll just jump straight into it, really. I mean, pre-match, Bruno, what did you really think of the of the team lineup, and what did you expect on this on this kind of Boxing Day sort of slightly festive event that we were going into? Uh, I think I'd been hoping for either Chris Richards or Ward to replace Mark Gay at centre-back, because that was the only change that um, seemed to need to be made from our last game against Forest before the World Cup. And in the end, it was Tompkins brought in, and that was... Well, that basically turned out exactly as everyone thought it would. Um, Not very good. Yeah, no, he was awful, got sent off, um, and generally dropped a horrific performance. are you at striker or right wing, I think, really. But yeah, it's the same lineup as Forrest. Um, and that concerned me a lot because um, Forrest, we were absolutely dreadful. Zero shots on target. We lost. Um, and would you look at that? We did the exact same thing again. So yeah, I think not playing Edward, I know he's been injured, but not playing Edward felt a little bit weird, especially because he had minutes um, in our little mini pre-mid-season thing. Um, I thought... Not playing Hughes over Schlupp, I can get because Schlupp's energy is useful, but, you know, Hughes deserves a chance considering how abysmal Schlupp's been recently. Wolf at Stryker doesn't seem to be an experiment that's working. Um, yeah, that, that, those were my thoughts on it, basically. How did you stand on it? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think you've kind of done a good job with the negative spin there, but I suppose there were a few positives as well. Um, one thing I'm personally a big fan of is that this four-two-three-one approach seems to be here to stay a bit more. Um, obviously the shape changes throughout the game Vieira's you know to be fair to him quite good at changing that up at times um, doesn't always get it right but again that's besides the point I think we've kind of gone to a system where we have an out and out number 10 now um, or if you like a f- kind of fluid front four I was like you surprised that we went for Ayu Zaha Reza Elise um, obviously three out of those four players you kind of uh, wouldn't have any issue with and obviously the four at large you don't really bat an eyelid when that does come out obviously it was a shame considering the performance of Forrest but again I wasn't at least surprised to see Ayu there. I think, you know, Vieira clearly rates him um, and it seems to have a lot of loyalty to him. But yeah, I think particularly the whole striker situation, I mean, like Zaha as a striker has worked in the past, but I think lately it's sort of fallen off. And I think he, again, was really isolated against uh, against Fulham throughout the game, but that's another story. It's partly a play style thing, I think. Yeah, it is, definitely. Hoofing the ball long uh, to Wilf, who just isn't a target man. You know, he's not that physical. Um, and... That was one of the reasons we struggled so much. I mean, we weren't allowed a minute on the ball, were we? So, um, yeah, I mean, something like 34% possession or something outrageous. Um, just just not good enough at all. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was a really dogged display from Fulham, to be fair to them, and we'll get into that. Um, you know, obviously, no Gehi owing to suspension, as you mentioned, was going to be a big talking point. I think by default, you've lost a lot of quality there. Um, Anderson as captain, though, that was something that was interesting uh, on a separate note. Um, you know, we've had a few players coming back into the fold, and like you say, Chris Richards has got over his post-World Cup injury. I get not rushing him, but obviously there are a few people knocking on the door. But um, one person you'd like to knock on the door for the captaincy was Zaha, given that he stepped up in the past in that role. Um, obviously, Luca was on the bench. It seemed like the obvious choice. But uh, Anderson, who ironically was Fulham's captain uh, back when he was on loan there, um, was given the armband for the first time. Um, what did you make of that? I mean, is it a testament to his leadership in the dressing room? I'm glad that um, he's been given a shot because I think he's sort of a constant presence in our side. He seems to be quite you know, mature. He's actually one of the older players in our team as well because we are yeah. quite, um, quite a young squad. Uh, I can't make any calls about sort of his influence behind the scenes, but it seems like he's pretty well liked. Um, I think fans would have expected it to be down between him and Wilf. Um, and I'm not really surprised that Wilf wasn't really given that opportunity because I don't think Vieira has ever really used Wilf as a captain. Um, yeah, good point. So, good point. yeah, I mean, Anderson actually had quite a good game. I mean, considering um, definitely our better centre back, and um, yeah, I mean it was his error that led to the first goal, but you can't fully blame him because Tompkins also missed a header. And ugh, yeah, there, there was a lot going on for that first goal, wasn't there? And I have to give it again. I don't want to be too complimentary about Fulham, but I basically think they did the same thing that has got them to where they've got to this season. They they took players that, and some of them are, are fantastically good. Some of them are championship quality. Like we've seen Deckard over Reed struggle, but he's been so good throughout this season and obviously scored the first goal. Um, there's players like that where the link up they've been showing this season was phenomenal, and you really saw why they're doing so well in that game. Um, just building up to the first goal, I know it's kind of it's kind of jumped the gun a little bit there, but just in that build up, I mean, there was there was such fluidity in their passing, and we kind of by the time our centre backs could really see what was going on, the, the, they 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 missed their lines, you know, and the ball had got got through to them. So. They were kind of left backtracking, weren't they? Um, what did you really make in more detail of that goal? We were struggling with the crosses, um, as one would expect we would with a player like Mitrovic um, as their striker and such forward-thinking fullbacks. Um, we've always struggled from crosses, I think. I think we've got the least crosses made in the Premier League this season. Um, so it's clearly not something we focus on defensively or offensively. Um, and with the set pieces we concede, you know, headers seem to be an issue for us. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mitrovic had plenty of opportunities throughout the entire game uh, to score um, from headers, and in the end it was Dekadova Reed, right, that got the first um, in a yeah. Mitrovic-esque fashion. So, yeah, I mean, it's poor defending, it's very preventable, it feels like every goal we've conceded for the last three years in that, that was something we could have done, but we didn't. It's the kind of goal that screams, oh, for fuck's sake, Palace, from you know, the yeah, older guy behind completely. you in, in the stand, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just really poor. Um, I, don't I think... didn't know Mitrovic could whip balls in like that. I mean, it was a cross that caught Palace out, and as you rightly mentioned, I think since Vieira's taken over, I think aerially we've kind of, we've definitely underperformed from an aerial standpoint. I think with the players we've got, particularly with the likes of Anderson, I think it's always been an issue and it's not really gone away. Like I say, I think when you really see it in, in real time, though, you realise the build-up to that goal was so quick, particularly in the final third, that 
I think let's be honest, Tompkins and Anderson, neither, uh, you know, neither of them are particularly pacey. They're not. Um, they're certainly good defenders on their day, particularly Anderson. But um, you know, there there was always going to be issues there with the ability to receive the ball in time and to really pick out what was happening. And I think when you see it in real time, you appreciate the difficulty of actually stopping that goal. But I think really the the thing that made it was the cross, not so much the finish. And it, it does not only does it catch the Declan Dover Reed so well, but it splits the centre backs as well. So you create the space through it and. You know, it was so well worked in that sense, but we really did struggle to really deal with that properly in the first place, and that's always going to be an annoyance. Um, and like you say, I mean, going back to the selection issue in the first place, I mean, we've seen Ward in a, in a three deployed more comfortably than he ever was under De Boer. God, God, I'm not going back there. But, you know, he did play there and it was awful, and yeah, Vieira somehow made it work in the right situation. So, you know, there was a case there. And again, Chris Richards, maybe I understand not rushing him back from injury. To be fair, that would be quite sensible, because I, as I've said before, I think, He's looked good at times, not always, but he certainly looked good at in, in his moments and his cameos. And I think if he can stay fit, he's got a big role to play this season. Um, so you know that was that was obviously a shame, and I think there was a defensive frailty in the selection, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it was just poor defending all round for the goal. And I think the cross really completed it and made it so difficult for us mm. to deal with. Um, I want to talk then about what happened immediately afterwards because obviously that was a huge talking point. Um. Tyrick Mitchell goes in quite late on uh, Kenny Tete and seems to sort of catch his ankle. I mean, first of all, was it was it a red? What did you think of it? I mean, there was no hesitation from the referee, was there? And VAR backed him up. I'll be honest, it's really split me because, and both decisions have actually because yeah, I'm, I always try to be quite conscious of my palace bias, but from looking at it many times and reading other people's opinions on it, I think if Mitchell does get to that ball first and um, you know, the other player makes contact with his leg in the same way. Their, their legs are at similar height. Yeah. You know, it's, it's literally a timing thing. Um, and I just don't think... I think if the reason for him being sent off is, like, dangerous play, it shouldn't be. If it's the speed of the challenge, it shouldn't be. I understand why it was given as a red, and I didn't really argue when I saw the replay, and neither did Tyrek, but... I don't know. I think if it had been given as a yellow originally, it wouldn't have been overall by VAR and that means it's about as grey mm. as you can get um, so yeah no arguments but I think it's moments like this where the three game suspension feels very very harsh especially when our yeah. backup left back is either Jairo Reed about Jeff Schlupp or Joel Ward which is quite possibly the most uninspiring pool of players to pick from um, in the entire Premier League that is a harrowing prospect you've just raised there Um like you say, it's one of those where I can only be so harsh on it at the end of the day. I mean, you can see that it was it, shall we say, an inappropriate height. Uh, that's quite euphemistic, and I think that's for a reason, because I think it was so, particularly in real time, and, and um, even when slowed down, it was so hard to see how threatening it really was. But then you have to admit that it's quite hard to ignore it when it's at that specific point on someone's ankle. And, you know, we've obviously seen, I mean, do you remember when Sacco flew in a few, uh, against Bournemouth a few years ago? The game will be won, by the way, where Schlipp went up the other end of left back and scored, coincidentally. But you remember that, right? Yeah. That was far clear, like more clear cut. It was even in the same area of the pitch, ironically, itself. So I'm pretty sure it was similar to the sort of halfway line. And actually, I still was, wasn't sure that was a, that was a red. I, the difference with Sacco, though, is, it, is the speed was phenomenal. He flew into it. It was so... There was so much force on it, so it not only hits him at an area that is unambiguously risky, but there was there was clearly um, a strong chance of dangerous damage there. Whereas I think with Mitchell, it just didn't look fast enough to be anything that was 
like insanely reckless to the point where it was a clear and obvious red where the referee can storm in and do it with such intent. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's 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 one of those ones where again, I I really do feel your sentiment in terms of conflict because I am the same. Where's the consistency? Like, um, I'm gonna I don't want to sound like I'm sort of bringing back old things, but um, when Dan James went in at a much faster speed, similar height on um, Joel Ward last season at Selhurst, the Leeds, that was given as a yellow. And VAR didn't even look. I mean, I have to agree that it was a, a, arguably a yellow. You know, I, I would. It's it's very risky that kind of challenge. And if it got upgraded, it gets upgraded. You know, I think it's one of those that falls either side of the coin. Um, mm. I'm not an expert referee. God help me if I ever was. But you know, I, even I was struggling to see how it 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 kind of engendered the same recklessness that we've seen reds being given for. Um, you know, we've seen far worse challenges that are far more obvious, and that one just didn't seem to have the force behind it. But I can only assume that that's not the point when it comes to the application of the rules. And that at the end of the day, he went in slightly late in an area that would have been construed as dangerous. I mean, that's one thing I will never argue with is that, you know, you can't go in on someone's ankle late like that. It's always going to be controversial. I just don't understand how it was so clear cut. And um, But at the end of the day, we have to deal with it. Um, that is football, unfortunately. I want to raise your kind of terrifying prospect here of Joel Ward, Riedewald and Schlepp as the kind of pool of left backs to select from. And because it's obviously a straight red, VR agrees there will be no real prospect of that getting overturned. You're looking at Mitchell being out for three games, not one. Um, Schlepp obviously deputised at left back. He slotted in quite nicely. Uh, nicely is a is a relative term. There was one moment in the second half when um, I think it was two v one on him, and he just gets caught so unbelievably square. Um, you know, a simple through ball through, and the right back can put across, and it just. He really didn't look comfortable in that position, especially from, from a player who was originally signed, I think, to play left-back. So, yeah, not sure about Schlupp there. just going to say that. In, in all fairness on Schlupp, I think, I mean, I don't want to be like a football manager analyst here, but I think the principle still applies. When you obviously take someone out of that position for so long and play them for so, such a length of time as a kind of, left-sided midfielder under Roy Hodgson and then as a, as a centre-mid under both Fierro and Hodgson at various times, your kind of capacity to be a good left-back is going to fade naturally. You're, you're not mm-hmm. going to be training in that role. You're not going to be so accustomed. Your skills are going to be rustier in that role. So it's not something that I'm particularly like surprised by, but obviously that, the point still stands that he has some proficiency there. I mean, I always think if you want an attacking left-back like left slash left-wing-back, he's obviously a more natural option. Um, but then Mitchell generally is quite good at going up the pitch, and I think his crossing has really improved. And yeah, I'm not saying he's a he's a creative wing back. He's not like a like an Andy Robertson, of course not. But he he has improved in that department. Um, I mean, I don't want to dwell too much on it because obviously I think fans, you and I, and everyone listening alike, will be more than aware that it's not going to be great whoever deputises there. But my instinct is that Joel Ward has frequently been deputising there when Mitchell's been unavailable. It seems to be whether that's at the start of games or mid-game when Mitchell's not been able to continue that um, he's the one that gets put on the left side and I don't see why that won't continue um, against Bournemouth. Um, what do you think, just briefly, who do you think is going to start a left-back? Who do I think and who do I hope are two different things, but I think... Well, separate them out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the idea of a back form of Joel Ward as an inverted left-back, Gay Anderson and Richards at right-back, because I think Klein kind of need to kick on the arse sort of thing um, to just sort of feel the need to prove himself because there are moments in that game where Klein didn't even look like a professional footballer 
And yeah. I'm highlighting him because I didn't feel like many other people did. This is a guy who's played in the Premier League for, you know, ne- maybe over 10 years now, right? Um, maybe nearly tw- uh, 10 years. He can't make a forward pass five meters without giving the ball away. Loose, sloppy, slow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got so many players who can't pass the fucking ball. Um, and it was seemed to be a universal issue. Um, yes, not yesterday, but uh, on Monday. Um, our whole team seemed to struggle with passing. But throughout the entire time he's had at the club, Klein's passing has been awful. He's the least progressive player on the planet, and that isn't an exaggeration. He's literally in the first percentile for progressive passes. <laughs> he is just dreadful uh, on the ball. Um, there was a moment in the uh, first half where he tries to play a pass up to Elise, and Elise's, you know, maybe six metres up the pitch, a bit wider, and Klein puts it straight into the path of a centre mid who's nowhere near Elise. It it's infuriating, and um, I think Ward's better on the ball than Klein. I think when we brought Ward on for Klein, that was an intentional tactical substitution, to, uh, and we looked better with Ward as a as a sort of passer. Um, I don't know. It feels like there are games where Klein's pace is necessary, uh, and there are games where Ward's on the ball. And I can't believe we're talking about Ward as being a better player on the ball. By the way, um, I think not a great problem to have. Yeah. Is it? Oh, no. Ward is one of those players that I think will do a job, and even somehow, if he doesn't make a mistake, he somehow gets away with it. Somehow, Klein needs to stop getting free passes from our from our fans just because he's a bit quick and because he's an academy uh, academy lad. So, yeah, I'd like to see Ward play at left back, uh, and I'd like to see Chris Richards start at right back because he looked solid when he came on. I don't know how you felt about him, but I thought yeah, again, yeah. I. I agree. His cameo was obviously fairly brief, but he looked fairly solid. Didn't really do anything to put things wrong. Um, that's been his story so far. You know, he's not really held down any strong position in the starting lineup or anything. But he's always made these brief cameos where he's just shown just glimpses of solidity and quality. Yeah, I'm not saying he's the best right back in the world, or you know, he's the next kind of um, he's like the third gay. But he he's got quality. He's got a consistency that we're lacking so so dearly. Um, obviously there's a lot of talk about the right back position. I think that's very much a conversation for another time, but we've had that conversation for years as a community. Um, it's obviously something we'll be targeting and, you know, it would be brilliant if Richards could prove himself as a competent right back who can hold down a role and can remain fit because wouldn't that save the club shed loads of money down the line? I mean, we, we, we've obviously invested a lot in him in the first place, but it's not quite clear where his position in the squad is and where he's going to really hold down a slot. So I'd love to see him fill that right-back position and really make it his own again so we can go back to having a, uh, a very strong right side, frankly. Um, but again, very much a story for, for another time. Um, I want to skip forward a little bit in the interest of time because I don't want to dwell too much on the game itself. There are plenty of things we need to address. But Nathan Ferguson, I think that is a huge talking point. Um, <laughs> Nathan Ferguson, um, you know, three years out, I reckon he's going to come in and be the next one Bissaka. Um, I genuinely have faith in this guy. He has picked up nine individual injuries while he's been here. He seems to constantly get injured whenever he's about to make his return. But apparently he's back training in the new year, and I've got full faith in this lad, even though we signed him three years ago, to kick on and do a job. And I'm I'm not screwing around here. I mean, I'm doing it a bit tongue-in-cheek in terms of the confidence I'm displaying. But 
you know, I was going to ask you, you sure, surely you would never be sarcastic on this podcast, Bruno. <laughs> that would be so out of character. I mean, but seriously, I've watched this kid in all of his games he's played for us, behind closed doors and otherwise. Um, I've watched him at West Brom substantially. I have him as my, or had him as my Twitter profile picture. It gets a bit obsession-y, I'm not, or obsessive rather, I'm not, not going to lie, but it's all because I've, I've seen what this kid can do, and he is seriously good. I, I have to say, I, I will back you on that, because I, I, I didn't watch him to the same extent you did, but I was really aware of him at West Brom. And when I knew, you know, this was, this was when we found out he had the meniscus issue, but this is when the sort of deal to sign him broke down a few years ago now. Quite a few years ago, actually. I was still at uni. Shit. Um, but I, oh, that was a fateful day, wasn't it? Um, but no, he, um, when I was looking him up, I was, I was amazed. He was fantastic, wasn't he? Yeah, he was great. Um, I watched a Musa... Dembele, the Tottenham guy, to um, compilation yesterday, and I realised they've got identical dribbling styles, which is kind of hilarious to think about the idea of sort of three years injured Nathan um, and me comparing him to Musa Dembele. But um, I, I don't know something about him. There was a slide tackle he made uh, in the QPR friendly uh, in the summer, and he looked entirely confident and happy to sort of put his weight about and take risks despite his injury history. And I think that's really admirable from someone you know, so young and so who's been through so much. So I think his contract's up at the end of the year. He'll be desperate to prove himself as a Premier League footballer. Um, and I think if Chris Richards isn't working out or if Tyrick really continues to be poor, and he has been poor for a long time now, then we should give him a go. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I can't disagree. His time will come. Um, I just hope his confidence isn't completely at rock bottom. I'd, I'd hate for him to be so kind of um, out of form and out of favour that he, he has no future with us. I, I think the club will kind of want to keep him on or on at least some kind of rolling system to see how he gets on. Um, but what I was really thinking about is wouldn't it be nice to be talking about a dilemma between Chris Richards and Nathan Ferguson or maybe the two combining in some way in some change of shape or whatever than to be talking about Ward and Klein every week? Yeah, Ward and Klein is possibly the most grim fullback um, choice in the entire Premier League. So, um, yeah... Uh, uh-huh. Let's just hope Ferguson gets fit. Let's hope Richard stays fit. Let's hope that both of them turn out to be actually competent footballers who can both run and use their feet, which is something that our current fullbacks can't do. So, yeah. Here's to hoping, eh? Well, let's, let's fast forward a bit to yet another red card flashpoint. Um, James Tompkins' is second yellow. Um, can you talk us through... I mean, can you talk us through his first yellow? And can you talk... Neither of them are yellows. Like, the first one... It's too far up the pitch. It's not preventing a counter-attack. It's just, it's just a bit, bit cynical, yeah, but I mean, it's a very harsh yellow anyway. Um, I saw someone on Twitter saying it was reminiscent of that Benteke double yellow for jumping up and using his elbows a little bit to try and win a header. Now, that was ridiculous. Yeah. That, is, that was infuriatingly bad. I remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think either of them are yellows. I think, depending on the angle, you can say... Um, Tompkins means it or not. But what I will say is Mitrovic's reaction is absolutely disgraceful. Um, and I'm a fan of Mitrovic. He's a great player. This is no disrespect to, to him. Well, no, it is actually. Um, I just don't think... I hate the whole rolling around on the ground thing um, that footballers do. And the way, I, think the, what Mitro, I think Mitrovic's reaction has sold it and made it a second yellow rather yeah. than the last warning. I think... Honestly, I think if, like... It's anything else. The referee probably gives them a warning, but the fact it's to the face made the referee give it. 
Um, yeah, I have to agree with yeah. that. I mean, anything with the face is risky. And one thing I was going to say with Mitrovic is I, as much as I was a bit outraged at the time, I mean, I was like proper like white boy punch a wall kind of pissed off there. I sat with my brother and we were both just shouting at the TV, which is something I don't normally do. Oh, I do. But, um, I was furious. I don't blame you. I know what you're like, mate. <laughs> um, I was furious though um, at the time, but I kind of, I almost don't blame Mitrovic because let's be honest, if it was the other way around, we, our players would be doing the same thing. We remember Anderson being an amazing shithouse against Darwin Nunez yeah. um, for the Liverpool thing and doing the same sort of thing. Like, I, I, I don't like it. I, don't, I wish it wasn't in the game, but it is. It's, it's the kind of culture. Mitrovic is as much a part of that culture as any footballer, and I think he's just doing what he did for his team. We're the victims of that this time, unfortunately. Um, I, can't, I don't want to dwell too much on him rolling around because, I mean, it, let's be honest, it, it's, it's pathetic. But then footballers are, and <laughs> let's not forget that, right? That's, mm. that's, how that, that's how that bell chimes these days, right? Um, but yeah, my main issue was the softness of it generally. I think if that were any other body part, no way it gets given. Yeah. He's kind of just blocking him off. He's doing what he's entitled to do. He's, doing, he's, he's sort of using his arm to strengthen himself. It's almost unfortunate that his arm is so high in the way that it is. And that, I, I mean, the, the commentators kept saying, oh, he's aware, he's aware. I don't know that Tompkins is as aware as you'd think. I think he... He senses a presence up to a point, but he's not really aware of how, of how high he is in relation to Mitrovic's head or anything too specific. He's just kind of blocking his, his runner off and doing what any good defender would do in that situation. Yeah, I don't want to be too bitter, but um, I really felt like the commentators on Prime were spent a significant portion of the game praising Mitrovic. And I'll, I'll leave it at that because there are some words I'd like to use instead that would not let us publish this <laughs> podcast. But our, our listeners are imaginative. I'm sure they'll uh, they'll find the words yeah. themselves. Whenever anything happened to Mitrovic, whether he was good or he was fouled, they'd be like, "Oh, you know," they would just sort of praise the hell out of him and just sort of take his side no matter what. You know, even if he misses a chance, oh look at that great leap. You know, it's just. I feel like we don't really get, and this sounds really whiny, but like Wilf is our star player, and he gets lambasted by commentators every game for some ridiculous thing. And whether it's, oh, is he going to leave this summer? Or them saying that he's our sort of talisman, even though he's really not. Genuinely think Elise is more influential these days. Um, I just think the influence is more balanced, but carry on, yeah. Yeah. I just... I'm really fed up of feeling like commentators seem to take the side of the opposition against us. Maybe that's mm. just some bias. I don't want to sound like an Arsenal fan here. Because, you know, no one wants that. In the words of Daniel Kaluuya, <laughs> no, God, they're dickheads, God, no. so... yeah. No, but I do hear you. I mean, I'm slightly envious of Mitrovic, but then I think we've got enough quality that we could have our own Mitrovic if Eduard slightly improves, for instance. I think they're in a similar mould where they've got enough physicality and height and presence to do all that stuff. I think Mitrovic is just way more complete and better at it. Um, I have to take my hat off to him. I'm not going to go in commentator mode. I think he is a good player, but obviously I think every minute thing he did was being picked up on as this brilliant masterstroke and and everything we do is kind of just... uh, you know, it's brainless, it's moronic, it's lazy, it's, it's, it's bad, it's bad, 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 mm. bad, 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 all the time. And it, negativity is, is annoying. I feel, like there's, I feel like Clinton Morrison is great because, if nothing else, whether you think he's a good commentator or not, he's in our corner. So as Palace fans, it's nice to have him when you, when you do see him on the telly defending and, and praising us. Um, the only thing I think commentators really like about us and Vieira and the whole project is the fact that there is a project now and that they have the, the sort of the basic narrative that's rolled out is the sense of general progress around the club that we've got a young squad again there's lots of exciting talent and 
sort of cage ballers. Are they exciting? Um, I mean, like, I don't want to be like full, full on sort of reactionary, but like, um, and I know that word is wrong, as I was um, enlightened to on Twitter. But like, Eze is meant to be one of our exciting players, and he's been a bit off the boil for the last few games. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm just not feeling the same hype I felt last season. It feels like we're playing with so much less pace. The people, commentators talk about our flair that we have. Um, and I'm not really seeing it at the moment. No, I, I do agree. I'm not really seeing it. I, I think Wilf, again, was isolated as well. Um, that really shone through. But it's a, it's not just as a Zaha problem. Um, he's obviously the best at it, our best flair player, but we have what much more of it. Um, it's not just on his shoulders. I think everyone was, was pretty off it in terms of creativity. Going back to the start, of course, we had no shots on target. Um, but there was one flashpoint where we hit the bar, so I think... I, I don't think it was abysmal, but it wasn't really good either. Okay, but who hit the bar, Alex? Jordan fucking Yeah, the Alex. least inspiring footballer on our team. And that is a fucking prize that's difficult to win, by the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, he is... Oh, God, I, I, do, I don't want to talk about Jordan Ayew. It's, it's, it's nearly the end of the year. Just... <laughs> there's, there's always something to say on Ayew at the end of the year. I, so, I think it's I a real shame we have like to end this, this whole... I just do not like him. <laughs> I just... Um, I was... Who, who was it? It was my boss, ironically. He'd... Um, He'd gone to see the West Ham game as a neutral in the West Ham end, and he was praising our front three and, and saying, like, Eze, Zaha, Aliza, they are electric, he loved them. And he on, on IU, he just said, yeah, just runs around a lot, but you, could, you should get rid of him. He's not good enough for you. And I think we can, we can analyse and talk all we want, but I think that's, that's, that there's a kind of a, a beauty in their kind of unchained eye saying yeah. that. Um, I, I, I think IU has a place in the squad, but it should always be from the bench. It was the same as Schlipp, really, I think. Yeah. These people add a lot of energy, and I think you need that at times to help manage games. I think Schlipp in particular likes to pop up with a goal off the bench. I think he's, he's a slightly better, but I think there's got to be a time at which we have to think, right, something's not worked these last few games. Could it be bias? Could it be loyalty? We need to break past that. We need to take risks. We need to potentially ruffle a few feathers in the squad and give people a chance. Um, I'm going to kind of... I won't even think there's. No, I don't even think there's much need to go through the Fulham goals too much. I mean, Tim Ream again. Um, Andreas Pereira has been great on set pieces for Fulham. He sort of slams home from close range. Could a lot have been done there? Um, as always, probably a little bit more. But I think it was so quick in terms of the way it happened. We were airily awful. We were awful from set pieces, and of course, that's a story we've been over a million times and hasn't changed. I think if you want to hear what we really think about that, just go through the archives and look at, listen to past episodes. We could honestly sit here and just repeat and parrot from previous episodes because it's such a pertinent issue. Um, and again, always the final goal was, you know, it was going to be Mitrovic, let's be honest, he was going to get on the score sheet at some point. He was a threat all game. Um, and I think when you're on 10, not 10 men, on 9 men even, which is very unusual to be saying, um, there's obviously that numerical issue, that disadvantage, but on 10, I felt like we were managing. You know, we were just riding punches, and obviously when it's just 1-0, there's always that chance that you get a break, that you wear them down, and that you go on the counter and score. And for a brief flashes, we didn't obviously get shots off, but there was certainly some build-up where that happened once or twice, and, you know, we weren't out of it. But, you know, I think once you're on 9, I think it's so hard to weather that storm, and it eventually we just cracked. And, I mean, I can't say I didn't see it coming, put it that way. Mm. It was just a you know, poor game, right? It was poor, and I think... Um, I almost am, am quite happy to be moving into the new year so we can move past this game. And obviously by the time we next record, we'll have had the, uh, the New Year's Eve special against Bournemouth all, all done and dusted. So we'll be starting 2023 by talking about whatever the fuck happens there. Um, am I optimistic for that? Not nearly as much as I should be. Um, 
that is certainly not good. But one thing that really stood out to me, and I think the commentators even highlighted this themselves, um, we've only started 16 different players this season, which is the lowest in the entire league. And if that isn't a testament to Vieira's loyalty to underperforming players, I, I don't know what is. Um, I would love to see uh, Will Hughes decore pivot. I mean, Hughes is a bit slow, but other than that, I think his actual technical quality is fantastic, be that in de- defending, be that in progressive play. I think he was brought in as a MacArthur replacement. That's always been the noise. He was kind of the long-term kind of easing in and easing out of MacArthur from the squad. Um, that was Hughes' job. It was to fill that gap, right? And I, I just don't see him being given that trust like he should be. Can I say in, something controversial? Uh, absence. Um, Sorry, what was that? Can I say something controversial? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think That's if we about. play um, Will Hughes, we shouldn't play Eze. You shouldn't play Eze. Yeah, because, That's interesting. like you've said, Hughes is incredibly slow. And um, I think Schlupp next to him would probably work better than Eze. And that's a system thing. Like, I love Eze as a player, but I think in a midfield three, if we play Hughes and Decore and Schlupp, I think that would be more effective than Schlupp, than, sorry, Hughes, uh, Eze and Decore. Because my, my theory is that um, we're sort of transitioning more to a 4 2 3 1. So. It's quite fluid, um, but obviously Eze and Elise will kind of rotate. It will mostly be Eze as, as the kind of number 10. And then Zakora and Hughes will be given license to drop a bit deeper. Mm. Um, and I think maybe that could work. But as you say, if we're going 4-3-3, no question. I, I think there is a merit in saying that I think there needs to be more balance in that team, particularly in terms of energy, because Hughes will not have that. But otherwise, you know, I don't think he's a holy grail. I think there's been a lot of that on Twitter, a lot of noise about Hughes needing to start. But... You know, he won't solve every problem, but I sure as hell think he adds quality that Schlipp doesn't in terms of being able to keep the ball, being able to pass the ball. You know, there's so much that he's been show- shown to do better. Um, and I just think, I, I, I just can't get my head around it, frankly. That's what I really think. I can't understand, other than dressing room politics and, and kind of the interpersonal relationships at the club, why he's not been given such a, such a look in. Because we clearly, particularly in midfield, we really need something. We need someone to step up. Decore has been fantastic, but he cannot do it all on his own deep in the field. Um, there's so much pressure on him, and dare I say, if he ever got a, a longer-term injury, I'm terrified as to how fucked we'd be. That, that's what really gets me. He's, he's too good to the point where, if you take him out the machine, I worry the whole thing falls apart, really. Mm. Um, I think Hughes absolutely needs to be given more of a look in. I think whether that, that involves wider rotation, that's a separate debate, but I think you set out a case, at least in terms of the system we're playing. Um, what would you really like to see um, for Bournemouth? I mean, obviously, there's already a case for rotation. A shot on target. Considering it's what? Sorry, go on. I'd like to see a shot on target against the newly promoted side for <laughs> the first time this season. Wow. When you put it like that, it makes us sound incredibly shit. Oh, and we are incredibly shit. You're not shit. wrong. I mean, we have not had a single win that we have thoroughly deserved, I think, other than Aston Villa. And even then, we went behind the first. Yeah, like Leeds, yeah, no, I can't we were getting fucked for the first half. Um, uh, Southampton, we got fucked for the second half. Um, Wolves, I think it was the worst first half I'd, or at least at the time I thought it was the worst first half I'd seen from us. And then came Nottingham Forest, Everton, and um, Fulham. Like we have been really poor this season. Um, we've been the opposite of how we played last year, which is underperforming. Now we're really overperforming, and I'm saying we're overperforming with. You know, two defeats against newly promoted sides without a shot on target. We need to get a result against Bournemouth, and that isn't an understatement. Uh, and I think Vieira is going to be feeding the pressure too. And that's not my opinion. Um, like, I 
heard that Vieira spent some additional time at the stadium after the game talking to Steve Parrish um, after Fulham. So I think we should be expecting some changes uh, against Bournemouth. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still back Vieira all the way. I mean, he's yeah. not perfect, but I, I, I have faith in him. There was a period where it looked like we didn't pick up points, he'd be in trouble, but we rode that exceptionally well and um, came away mostly with, uh, with a few, well, quite a few wins, actually. Or however fluky we, we think they may have been, we won a lot of games, we got enough points. And you look at a team like Brentford, they're only a point above us, and most people would say they've had a fairly consistent and decent season. You know, whereas for us, it feels like we've just fluked our way there, but that's not the point. You know, we have kept ourselves afloat, and yet we're still tantalisingly close to the bottom three in terms of, you know, um, a handful of points. You know, we're only talking a, a bad run of a few games and a good run of a few games for other teams. And have you seen the run we have coming it. up, by the way? Sorry? Have you seen the run we have coming up? Uh, I have seen glimpses of it, but I think you'd be pretty well off to remind me of our run. Chelsea away, Newcastle at home, United away, Brighton at home, Brentford away, Liverpool at home, Villa away, City at home, Arsenal away. And that's leading I bet it'd be Classic Apple. Palace to do better than we expect from that. Oh, sure. You know, we'll I feel like... Against Fulham, Forest, Bournemouth and Wolves. But... I know. It's a pain, but you know, I, I don't fear the big six. I don't fear um, Newcastle like we used to. I think we have a fairly good record in those kind of high-pressure games. And I, I'm, we haven't won I, I still expect us to get spanked most of the time, but it, I, I don't think it will come as a shock. But I, I still think we'll pull something off. My big worry is Brighton, because, I mean, good news. I've actually got my tickets for Brighton. It's my first um, Brighton game, actually, I'll be seeing in, in, in the flesh. So really excited for that. But obviously, I'm going into that. Even though it's all the way in February, I'm already anticipating the bitter taste of defeat from that because I don't think we've got a chance. But Wait, you got tickets for that? That's another story. Sorry? You got tickets for that? Yeah, I did. Yes. I will not, I will not name my ticket plug, but I, I got sorted. So. Oh, Christ. I didn't realise they were out. That's annoying. I wanted to take my dad to, to some games. Well, live on air, Bruno, you're fucked up. Um, and now we'll listeners know we will not be seeing you, Brian. Gutted, gutted. Now, we, we, we'll, let's see. Let's see. But yeah, I am, I am going. So, you know, if you do recognise me, for whatever reason, don't, don't be afraid. Do say hello. But yes, I will be there. Um, but I am quite terrified because I'm, I'm not at all confident, like I say. But again, I suppose we'll cross that bridge in much finer detail when we get to it. Um, I want to wrap up just by giving uh, a brief little mention to Maxi Jazz, obviously. Um, a huge Palace fan and a prominent figure of Faithless. That's how he's best known. Um, a huge influence on the music scene at the time of his prime. And fans will most belovedly know him for Week on One, which is obviously played um, all the time before, um, before in warm-ups and so on. But his music has obviously been hotly associated with the club by virtue of his own dedication to Palace. Um, he was a frequent you know, attendee at Selhurst Park and will be much missed by everyone on the podcast and at the club at large. So... I just want to take a second to pay tribute to him and also to Crystal Palace, the club, for um, playing his music as the walkout. Um, obviously, glad all over not being there was something that was a bit unusual, but it was absolutely for the right reasons. And I thought it was a lovely little touch. Um, so, yeah, everyone on the podcast obviously sends our best to his family and um, the, you know, the community will obviously always be rocked by his absence. So really, really sad to hear of his passing. Um, but there was a wonderful tribute, wasn't there, on the, on the uh, 65th minute for him. Um, and actually, the fans in general throughout the game were at full voice from, uh, from the start to the finish, even when we were absolutely battered. And I think it's a testament to the club at large that in all sorts of situations, good and bad, the club can come together in this way, um, both in tribute to Maxi Jazz and to get behind the team. I think, you know, it's, uh, 
it's what makes me proud to be a Palace fan at the end of the day, win or lose. I think our fans are phenomenal. They showed it in abundance against Fulham um, and an absolute credit to the club. Right, otherwise, um, I think that is it. Uh, I am terrified for New Year's Eve for two reasons. One, because we're actually playing football again. And, uh, you know, you'd think against Bournemouth we had a fairly decent shout, but I'm really not sure. Um, I think anything can happen at this rate, and I'm quite terrified to see that team selection. Um, I'm also, I've also stupidly agreed to host a New Year's Eve party, so my flat is going to get trashed. <laughs> I just know it. So I'm, I'm getting fucked on both counts, basically. Um, and on that absolute bombshell, it's goodbye from me. Bruno, any closing thoughts and goodbyes? Um, just cheers for listening to us, and um, I pray for your mental states come the end of tomorrow's game. Thank you. I'm, I've got all my crystals out. I've got the whole prayer circle going. I am absolutely terrified. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, otherwise, um, thank you very much, everyone, for your support in 2022. This is, of course, the last pod of the year. I know it's not the last Palace game, but um, it's, been a, it's been a bumpy road, but we've been really, really happy by your feedback. The podcast growth as well has been phenomenal, really consistent. So we're really happy to see that you guys are loving it and tuning in every week. Um, I'd like to give a personal shout out to the guy on the Alexa who's asked Alexa to play this podcast. <laughs> that's something we noticed as well from our little backend data. So that's a particular credit. Um, you see some unusual things now and again, but in all seriousness, we're absolutely delighted with the support you guys have been giving us. We're aware that consistency hasn't always been our strong suit. Um, I'll be completely transparent. Bruno is the only one that's versed in editing. And as always, with everyone, life just gets in the way. That goes for both of us. It goes for our guests. Um, we are changing that. I'm getting a crash course at some point in, edit- in editing and we're expanding the team to um, have a larger permanent hosting roster. So hopefully you'll be seeing more faces and personalities on here too. Um, we're always looking for people to get involved with the Palace Way. So if your New Year's resolution is to do something like that, just to pick up a new hobby or to learn a new skill or something, we are delighted to be expanding our doors. So please get in touch with us at the Palace Way on Twitter. Make sure you're following us if you're not already. And of course, we'll see you in the new year. So have a good one. Stay safe and have a happy new year, everyone. It's bye from me and it's goodbye from Bruno. Thank you again for your support. Ciao, ciao.